but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on the 1st of October here as we dive into all things Minnesota sports. And before we dive in, of course, is a football Friday here uh, during the football season where, uh, we lead off right away with the two football teams here. And uh, I talked a lot about the Gophers a lot earlier in the week, so I'm not going to stress on them too much. There's really not much else to say with the Gophers other than they had an embarrassing loss last weekend. They have a great bounce-back opportunity against Purdue. Uh, the Boilermakers are not a good team. They don't have a quarterback right now. There's a lot of, uh, not chaos, but there's just not even dysfunction. There's just a lot not going right for Purdue. So this is a good opportunity for you to go on the road, get a win, kind of shut everybody up about the loss, and just move on to your next opponent. So I think for them, they have a great chance to bounce back. Um, we'll see what happens, but I, I really think that this is a good bounce back opportunity. It's not like they have to go now and play Iowa, or have to go play Wisconsin, or have to go play more of the heavyweights. They're going to play Purdue. And P.J. Fleck, I don't, you know, knock on wood here, but I don't know if he's ever lost to Purdue. If he has, it's only been like once. So he, you know, on the road, at home, P.J. Flug has been a guy who knows how to outcoach Jeff Brom. So I like the Gophers' chances. That doesn't guarantee a win, but it just says the season, the sky isn't falling on the season yet. If they lose to Purdue, then, then yeah, then we need to really look at what this team is. But a good bounce-back opportunity for them. They're going to play better. I think it's just safe to assume that the Gophers will play better. It's highly unlikely that they won't. And if they do not improve, then we really need to sound some alarm bells because uh, that would just, that would be unacceptable. I'm not saying firings, but we need to seriously like question what the direction of this team is uh, if they lose to Purdue uh, for the second week in a row. All right, moving on here to the Minnesota Vikings. But last thing on the Gophers, I do expect them to win. By the way, expect them to win along the lines of something like uh, like 30 to 24, something like that. The Gophers will win. All right, there you go. Um, now, moving on to the Vikings here, let's take a look at this team as they get ready to take on Cleveland. This is a big game, and I know we've talked about it's a big game for Zimmer, and it's a big game for Stefanski, and all the reunion and all that kind of stuff. I mean, when you get outside of that point, though, it really still is a pretty big game for Minnesota. I know we talked about last week as being the must-win game because they need to get a win, and, and week two was the must-win game, and every week is a must-win game in the NFL. It's a cliche, but... When you're talking, into every game is a domino effect, and I think that's the better way to look at this season. Every game is important. Every game matters. Every game is a big game. So how does it, what's the domino effect? What is you winning or losing this game? How does that domino affect the rest of your season? And I think when you look at the Minnesota Vikings, there's two situations, you know, obviously win or lose, but if they win, they're 2-2, two and two, and it sets them up in a good position. Keep in mind, and this is an interesting stat, Mike Zimmer He's had teams go 4-0 through the first four games. He's had teams go 1-3, 2-2. 2-2 is actually the best bet for a Zimmer team. The Vikings have been 2-2 in each of the first four or each of the first four times that Zim's teams have made the playoffs, or three times. Uh, every time Zimmer has made the playoffs, it was with a 2-2 record. 2015, they were 2-2. 2. 
They won the division, made the playoffs. 2017, they were 2-2. Two and two. They ended up winning the division, making the playoffs. They were 2-2 two and two in 2019. They ended up making the playoffs, winning 10 games. They won double-digit games after starting 2-2 two and two in all of them. And even after the 2-2 two and two start in 2017, remember, they lost to a, a Pittsburgh team that went on to be the one, uh, the two seed that year, or the one seed maybe, I believe. I think it was the two seed. But the, the, the second loss was to Detroit. And you were like, okay, how good can this team really be? There were serious questions, all that kind of stuff. Two and two in 2019, remember, everybody was ready to about flip Kirk out a window because of uh, the, how he played in the two losses against Green Bay and against Chicago at Soldier Field where he just looked abysmal. And then, of course... Kirk uh, Tober rolls around, and we all know what happens after that. He got on fire, and then they kind of saved the season. But they're, if they can get to 2-2 two and two after the abysmal first two weeks they had, with all the mistakes they made, with how everything hasn't come together, especially on the defensive side of the ball, if you can escape the first month going 2-2, two and two, that is a very good spot. That is a spot that most coaches, if you give a coach, you say 100% your team will be 2-2 two and two after the first month, I think 9 out of 10 coaches will take that and the other coaches get fired. Because just you get through the first month of the season, you kind of figure out who you are as a team, and then you say, okay, now we know what we need to do, we know what we need to improve on, we're getting, you know, we're into the groove of the season, um, and nobody's too high or too low on us, we're just, we're there, we're 2-2. Two and two. And the biggest thing is it doesn't sink yourself early in the season. And to make a baseball analogy, the Minnesota Twins this season – they started their month of April was awful and they followed it up by a worse month of May. But honestly, by the time you got into May, you could sense that this team isn't going to win anything this year. Like this team is going to be not good. They are not going to sniff the playoffs. Like they have a potential to be more in last place than they do first place. And that was true. And to give a more uh, brutal example, you could say the 2016 twins where they started out like, Oh, and 11 or something like that, or Oh, and nine or, one and ten, or you know, the point is bad. Like they set the tone in the first week of the season. Like the Timberwolves in the Wild hadn't even finished the regular seasons yet, and you were already looking forward to Gopher and Viking football. That's how bad it was for the Twins in 2016. So the the point of the message is: don't sink yourself in the first month, and your team can propel from there. Teams usually teams that win the Super Bowl don't peak in September. And that's a cliche, peaking at the right time. But most of the teams that peak at the beginning of the season start out bad because, or end bad because there's nowhere to go after that point. There's, you, you play as hot as you can, teams figure you out, and you can't get back to that point because you can't respond to the adjustments they make. And you hit your stride too late to where teams have a whole season to figure out what you did well and why you did it. So 2-2 two and two is a good spot for the Vikings if they can get there. If they get to 1-3, and three, the domino effect hurts them. And here's the domino effect I'm talking about. Because you're 1-3. Detroit, you could probably beat them. You'll get a win. Carolina, that seemed like a more surefire bet, but uh, they've looked a little bit better this year. Besides the Saints, they haven't played too tough of competition, but they still look formidable. It still isn't going to be a guaranteed win, especially having to go on the road. So the Vikings need to keep that in mind. Then you have your bye week. And then you have then the meat and potatoes of your schedule, where you have the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. You go to Baltimore. You go to SoFi Stadium to play the Chargers. The Packers at home at 49ers. That 
was one, two, three, four, five game stretch. Brutal. And if you go in there three and three or two and four, I'm going to chalk the Detroit one up as a win. You're not, if you're going in two and four, even three and three, it's looking pretty dicey. Can you go three and two in that stretch? Well, okay, then you're six and five. And then it gets a little bit easier because you have the Lions, you have the Steelers, who are not good this year, the Bears, the Rams, which are going to be tough, and then the Packers again. So it's so going through that, let me just put it to you this way. If the Vikings win against Cleveland, if they win and it doesn't seem kind of fluky and it's like, okay, you know what, they did a good job, they came out, they won, they did everything, I think the Vikings will win on Sunday. I think they'll win 31-38. I think it'll be a high scoring because Zimmer can't quite – uh, get his defense together yet. We talked about that earlier in the week. Go listen to that on the podcast. Uh, on Wednesday, we talked about that, about what, if the Vikings' defense is good and what they need to do to be good. Um, but I think that the Cleveland Browns are going to lose. I think the Vikings are going to win. I think the Vikings are going to win 38-31. It's going to be high scoring because Kirk is hot right now. They're going to ride with a hot hand. The offense, I think, will be good. I don't know how much longer it can last, but I think 31-38, the Vikings win. Detroit, I think they win as well. And then Carolina, it's uh, they're good, but they're still beatable. You win. You go into that, you've won four in a row. You're now four and two going into the bye. The Cowboys team looks beatable. Let's say you take some losses to the Ravens and Chargers. And then maybe you beat the Packers at home, 49ers on the road. We'll call that a loss. Then you rattle off three straight at Lions, Steel, uh, Steelers at home, then at Chicago. Um, lose to the Rams, lose to the Packers, beat the Bears. And that's about a 10-7 and 7 record. And that can make you the playoffs in a seven-team uh, seeding for the a- or for the NFC. That's not very top-heavy and just very, uh, very kind of mediocre is not the right word, but there's just no one team. They don't have a Kansas City Chiefs. They don't have a Baltimore Ravens. They don't have just this juggernaut of a team. Even Tampa Bay is not a juggernaut. I wouldn't call Los Angeles a juggernaut yet. They're playing well because teams haven't figured out how Sean McVay and Matt Stafford like to go. They're playing very well. They're still a Super Bowl contender. I'm not going to say that they're a powerhouse, though, until proven otherwise. But if the Vikings lose this game, then you say, okay, well, they lost against Cleveland. They'll still beat Detroit. But can they beat Carolina? I don't know. Can they beat the Cowboys? Like You just lose one more game, and it shakes your confidence. You don't feel as good in the things you can do. And other teams see that as well. And I think that there's just some games where eventually you just kind of lose down the line and that domino effect of, okay, now we're we're one and three in the first month. And that's not a, you know, you basically have dug yourself an almost undiggable hole. And the Vikings proved last season, you start out one and four, you have to play almost perfect the rest of the way and hope that you can get into the playoffs. So I think that's the thing for the Vikings is just knowing that this is a must-win game because it sets the tone for the rest of the season, just like every game does. But this one in particular, because the dominoes can kind of move in a way that can set the Vikings up in a good position if they can come out with a win on Sunday. So guys who need to have a big game on Sunday, and then we're going to wrap it up here with the Vikings. Guys who need to have a big game, the tackles, the offensive tackles. Rashad Hill, Brian O'Neill, they need to have good games. Why? Cleveland has some great pass rushers. Cleveland's second in the NFL with stat, uh, with sacks. Keep in mind that stat is a bit skewed because of the, what is it, they had like five sacks against the Bears on uh, Sunday. So, you know, I I don't know how much weight I hold to that because Clowney has two sacks. Jadavian Clowney, one of the edge rushers. Miles Garrett's the other one. Clowney had two sacks on Sunday. Those are his only two sacks of the season. I don't know how much weight I'm going to hold into that. 
but the Clowney and Garrett on name recognition alone are still going to be great edge rushers. So the tackles are going to need to do their part to keep Kirk upright because as we talked about yesterday, the offensive line can keep Kirk upright. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the game. That's what Dalvin Cook says. And they need to they need to make sure they can keep him upright for that reason alone and just to set up everything they want to do if they can pass the ball and make themselves two-dimensional. Two-dimensional. Brashad Breland is the other one. He needs to have a big game on Sunday. Why? Well, his PFF score, keep in mind, uh, one, uh, 0 to 100, he's got a score of 30. He's top 10 in targets and top 5 in receptions against. So he's a guy that gets picked on, and he gets picked on for a reason, because he has not been having a great year. And it's a tough task with these Cleveland receivers. Keep in mind, Landry isn't going to play, but Odell Beckham going to be put on Patrick Peterson. They still have a couple guys. They still have Donovan Peoples-Jones. They still have a couple other kind of young guys that they can lean on a little bit here. Um, they have Hooper that they could use in the tight end spot. They have Njoku. Um, both guys, you know, whether they use them in the tight end or the receiver, whatever, they still need to have a big uh, – Rashad Breeland needs to have a big game because they're going to pick on him. And with the season that Breland's having, they probably feel like they can go to a guy who maybe hasn't had a big season or maybe hasn't had a big game lately and just know that they're going to attack that matchup because of how he's been playing, Breland has, so far in the season. So he needs to have a good game as well. The Vikings, front four on defense, needs to have a good game. Um, their 10 sacks make them top three in the NFL – but sacks necessarily aren't – sacks are a good stat. I'm not saying that it's a worthless stat, but sometimes they aren't necessarily the thing you always need to judge in terms of how good your pass rush is. Maybe you look more towards pressures. Maybe you look towards that. But still, 10 sacks is pretty good. Daniel Hunter has about four of them so far this season. But they're 20th in run defense. And if Mike Zimmer – Mike Zimmer's defense is predicated on stopping the run and forcing them to pass. That is a Mike Zimmer defense. Don't let them run it on you. Force them to pass. Make them have to punt early. Don't let them chew up clock. That's the Zimmer strategy on defense. And you have to learn how to stop the run. They have two of the best running. They have the best running back duo in the NFL in terms of their usage and how balanced they are and talented. Um, the Vikings, honestly, if they use Madison more, couldn't be up there. Not saying that they're as good as Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but they'd still be up there. Um, but they are good for the Browns, the running back tandem that they have. So if the Vikings want to want to win. They're going to need to stop them. We talked about that earlier in the week, but this front four really needs to step up. They need to have a big game. Keep in mind, Cleveland, two of their offensive linemen starters have not been practicing this week. That's Jedrick Wills and J.C. Treader. Um, I don't know what the status is, if they're going to play or not. They haven't practiced, so it's not good, uh, looking good in terms of that department. But if they're down a couple offensive linemen, they need to use that as they need to kind of smell the blood in the water and have a good game on that part for Cleveland. All right, moving now on from our football Friday, moving now into the other portion here of our Minnesota sports, looking in here at the Minnesota Twins, and they wrapped up their home schedule uh, for the season. They played their last game at Target Field yesterday for the 2021 campaign. And the reason that it's so important, because again, this team is garbage, they're not doing anything, um, is was this Byron Buxton's last game as a twin at Target Field? And what does that mean for him in the future in terms of does he get traded? Does he do X? Does he do Y? All that stuff. And I think we just need to take a second to talk about Byron Buxton before we dive into that. Because we need to keep in mind who Byron Buxton is. He is 
from a talent perspective. He is a once-in-a-generation talent. He was a number two overall pick. And he was pretty widely, you know, like everybody took that. Nobody was surprised. Byron Buxton, uh, good baseball player, good pick. And he was talented. He had the speed. He had the raw ability. He just needed to be able to craft, craft it in. He needed to be able to craft it in. And when he was able to this season, you, I mean, he's played the best he has career this season. If you could stretch it out, because people have the stat where they'll show his stretch if he played 162 games and it's uh, putting up just enormous numbers, um, just everything he'd be able to do. He'd be obviously far and away uh, an MVP candidate, but the problem is, is he hasn't been able to stay healthy, and that's the big sticking point is, yes, Buxton's a great player, but can he stay healthy? And that was the same thing that we would do with Joe Maurer. We'd say, yeah, Joe Maurer, he can't play. He, You know, the, the classic Maurer stinks kind of thing. Maurer's a baby, all that kind of stuff. And, keep, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I didn't have those thoughts when I was watching Maurer in the in the 20-teens, when you look at the 2013 to 20, uh, to like 2016 seasons where everybody was very low on Maurer and his abilities. But, I mean, when you look at Byron Buxton, uh, he's been able to play more than Maurer has throughout his career. But the thing is not to compare them, because we kind of talked about Maurer and Buxton earlier in the week. The thing is that, that we need to appreciate greatness with Byron Buxton. He's not an all-time great. He's not a Twins great. But his talent and the things he's able to do, this is something that other fans don't get to see all the time. Byron Buxton on Wednesday night casually robbed a home run like it was nothing. Byron Buxton hit two bombs and two doubles yesterday for the Twins. He can hit. It's all came together for him. The one thing is the injuries. It's taken step by step. You know, right when he got to the big leagues, it was, okay, he can run. Then it was, okay, well, now he can play center field. He can field. He can do that. He's a gold glover. Now it's, okay, he's learning not to strike out so much. He's putting the ball in play more. Now it's, okay, he's, you know, taking more walks. And it's he's ripping the ball down the line. He's getting up. He's hitting the ball in play. He's running around the bases. And now this season, he's trotting around the bases because his power numbers have been so good. I mean, Byron Buxton played 58 games this season. That's, honestly, if you don't count last season, which is only 39 games, um, it was only, he only had one season where he, or two seasons where he played less games. Uh, so this is like, he's played about two or three, he's played about three more seasons where he started more games and he still just blew his career home run totals out of the park. Last year, Byron Buxton, uh, or not last year, but 2017, Buxton set a career mark with 16 home runs. He set 18 home runs this season. Buxton, in 2017, he started 140 games, or at least played in them. This season, only 58. Byron Buxton has a war on fan graphs of 3.8. He's almost four wins above replacement, and he's barely played. If he played a whole season, he would be in the MVP conversation. You just have to hope that he slowly picked up each and every part of his game. Keep in mind, Byron Buxton is still only, only, 27 years old. He'll be 28 at the beginning of next season. You still have about five more years of peak Buxton. Sign him to that extension. This is a no-brainer. Keep Byron Buxton. Enjoy the greatness. Twins fans, don't take this for granted like we took Maurer for granted. Like we took Maurer's peak years. Maurer was a great player. He's a Hall of Fame player. 
Not a first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously. It'll take some time, but Maurer will get in. He was great. The things he was able to do he, as a hitting catcher and all the things that he was able to, his plate vision, his uh, commitment to slapping the ball the other like everything Maurer was able to do, he wasn't the perfect player, but we forget how well he played early in his career. He was one of the best defensive catchers, and he was one of the best offensive hitters, which is something that never happens. I know everybody can hit home runs now, but even still, catchers aren't necessarily perceived as your team's best hitter. And Maurer was the team's best hitter for a long time, playing the most physically demanding position other than pitcher. He was great. He was an all-time Twins great. And Buxton has a chance to do that if the Twins keep him. Enjoy the greatness. Don't take Byron Buxton for granted. Who knows? Polanco's a good player. Polanco's the most productive twin this season. But if you're going to say, do you want 162 games of Byron Buxton or 162 games of Jorge Polanco, who are you going to choose? You're going to choose Byron Buxton 10 times out of 10. Byron Buxton, when healthy, is one of the best players in baseball. Top five. The Twins will get a healthy season of him at some point. Give him the deal. 20 to 25 million. Lay it on the table. Give him some more incentives if you have to, but keep Byron Buxton in a Minnesota Twins uniform because if you trade him, you are giving away an all-time great player and it will come back to bite you worse than David Ortiz. So that's the thing with the Twins. That's a bit of a soapbox. It just all comes down to will the Twins trade him? And that's the thing. They traded Jose Barrios during the offseason, which is why some teams are like, okay, well, maybe this means that Buxton will get traded as well. And I don't think that's true. I think Jose Barrios getting traded makes a lot more sense than Byron Buxton getting traded. And here's the reason why. Is because Buxton is, again, a once-in-a-generational type talent. When you look at the ceiling of Byron Buxton, it is through the roof. And the floor, of course, is lower. It's lower than most players because of the injury history. You know that at best you're getting an MVP candidate, and at worst you're getting a guy who can't play most of the season because he's hurt, a guy that can barely play 60 games. But the Twins are 500 when Byron Buxton is in the lineup this season. The Twins, if you look at their records with or without Byron Buxton in their lineups, is not even close. Byron Buxton makes the Minnesota Twins better just by being in the lineup. I don't know the best way to describe it. It's not like he's there willing the team to victory, but he's just un- he's just another talented player that you have to worry about on this team. And Byron Buxton receives MVP votes when he's healthy. So the ceiling is there. The floor is just very low. Jose Barrios has a higher floor. You know what you're going to expect with him. He's going to throw a three and a half ERA. He's going to pitch over 200 innings. He's going to do all of that. But the thing is, is, and Barrios is still a very good pitcher. Don't get me wrong. Barrios is still the ace of the twins. If he was back here today, now, the way Maeda pitched this season, you would say Barrios, number one, gets the opening day not. But, do I think he's a true ace? Do I think he's on the level of Johan Santana? Not, he, he, he can be. The talent is there. It just feels like he's never been able to put it all together. And that's the thing. Buxton is putting it all together. We keep wondering, we kept wondering with Barrios, when is he going to take that next step to become the true ace? And Byron Buxton, we like he already has taken all the steps to become an MVP-level player. He just has to stay healthy. 
The ceiling is higher for Buxton. The ceiling is not higher for Barrios. And the Twins are more willing probably to go out and spend money on pitching than they would be to go spend money on a center fielder. It is really hard to find a good center fielder. How many good center fielders can you name? Kevin Kiermeyer? Any Mike Trout besides that? Who else can you name? It's it's really hard to find good outfielders and guys that can. I mean, you think of Byron Buxton's impact at the plate and on the field. It's still pretty darn high. So I think it makes more sense because as good as Brios is, as productive of as Brios was, he just didn't give you the same amount of ceiling. He doesn't give you the same amount of potential to do things with. And honestly. That return that they got for Barrios was a haul because of the because of the trade deadline and because of the desperation that you get. You're not going to find a team desperate to trade for Byron Buxton in the winter. Now, if the Twins are this bad again, and maybe they get a good package for Buxton, then that's a different argument. If the team is willing to give up a lot, you're not going to get as much in the winter for Buxton as you would during the offseason. So that's that's the thing. Byron Buxton, that's why the Buxton trade makes sense. Or that's why not trading Buxton makes sense. That's why trading Barrios does. All right, let's take a look here uh, for the last thing with the Twins, which is Derek Falvey said in a presser yesterday that the Twins plan to be aggressive in the offseason. And that's good. I'm glad that they're publicly saying that. I'm glad that they're not kind of beating around that bush. They want to be competitive. I believe them. I want to believe them. But... They have to prove it. They usually always say the right things in pressers, but they have to show that they're competing again next year. Signing Donaldson shows that they can be aggressive. This isn't a cheap pull ad argument. This is just a, are the Twins going to pull the trigger? Not because of money issues, but because they don't feel like it's the right time to make a move. But I think it is. I think this Twins team can still compete if you keep Buxton. You just need to get pitching and the icing for the lineup. If you get two quality pitchers and some icing for your lineup you're going to be a team that can compete, especially in the AL Central. And competing next year means nothing if you trade away Buxton. And that's just the final thing that I'm going to wrap up this Twins thing on. And there was the report from John Heyman that of the potential teams listed in consideration for uh, Carlos Correa, or at least one of the teams that's going to pursue him heavily, is the Minnesota Twins. That's interesting, by the way. Correa is going to be one of the top-paid shortstops this offseason. He's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's going to be very interesting to see if the Twins are willing to play ball and how far they're willing to go. Again, that's a long shot. It's a pretty aggressive uh, move, and it's a very deep shortstop class that I could see the Twins being active in and then bowing out and then signing a middle-of-the-road guy who will be productive, just not a superstar. But the Twins don't need a superstar if they already have Buxton, unless you use some of that money to shuffle around. And that's a conversation for another podcast. But... Just needed to say that the Twins are interested in Correa. It would be a big move. I just, I don't think it's very realistic that the Twins could pull that off. All right. There's an article I saw here as we wrap up here with the Wolves in the Wild is that the Minnesota Timberwolves here are on this article on Bleacher Report, which talks about the five most, uh, the five teams facing the most pressure this season. And you get, uh, you know, the Wizards, the Sixers, the Lakers, Trailblazers, Pelicans, yeah, yeah, whatever. In the honorable mentions, though, it includes the Timberwolves, by the way. The excerpt here from the article says, how long will this week's front office, uh, or how will last week's front office upheaval affect Minnesota's involvement in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes 
Can the Timberwolves get back to the playoffs just for the second time in 17 years? How long will Carl Anthony Towns stick it out before asking for a trade? There's still a lot of questions. And that, and he's right. We've talked about a couple of these things already here in uh, the play or in the podcast here this week. Go listen to some of the uh, other things that we've talked about this week with the Timberwolves in terms of can they get Ben Simmons? What is that going to look like? And what does Cat's future look like here in Minnesota? And now again, they're not top five. They're not. The, all eyes aren't on them. But it still is an intriguing situation to watch when you're looking at the Minnesota Timberwolves and what they can do this season. There is a bit of pressure on them. I think there is a little bit of. There's a little bit of okay. What do we got to do? New ownerships coming in. They're going to be breathing down the necks, or they're going to be watching everybody closely. And when they take over in 2023. They're going to come in and they're going to set things how they want to do it. And Glenn Taylor even, I mean, it looks like Sanchez Gupta is going to get the job, but they're still going to do their due diligence and probably look into other people. So there is nothing set about this team. Even if they trade for Ben Simmons, they can still not get Gupta, not keep him long-term, and get rid of Simmons, trade Cat, however they want to reshape the roster. It's the NBA. You can reshape the roster in about 20 seconds. So... That's another thing to keep in mind. There's a lot of pressure. They're not married to all these players. They're not married to this core if they don't win. So if they show that they can win and they make the playoffs, then you see what you can do from there. But it's going to be an interesting one to watch. But don't pretend just that the Wolves are bad, that there isn't pressure on this team. There is pressure. They need to compete and they need to win for the factors that we just mentioned here. But one thing that I think is positive about the Minnesota Timberwolves, I've been kind of ragging on them and they deserve every bit that they get, but one of the positive moves for the Wolves, I think in their offseason signings, the best offseason signing that they had this year was Pat Beverly. And he wasn't a signing, he was a trade. I don't like trading Rubio for Prince uh, from the Cavaliers, uh, Tehran Prince. Uh, I know they just signed um, the, they signed, I believe he's from Spain, uh, somewhere in Europe, they signed him. But Pat Beverly is the biggest addition. And the reason is, and I've been saying this for the Wolves for the last However many years, you need to get some 3 and D veterans on this team. They need veterans to help them take that next step. And Pat Beverly was, a, I mean, it was a Gerson-Rosas move, but it's a, I think in terms of a pure basketball decision, it's a good move. Patrick Beverly is going to help your roster. And the fact that you did it while also dumping off Culver uh, and Wancho, uh, Herman Gomez, is really good. Uh, just for giving up for basically nothing. Because what does Pat Beverly bring to your team? Well, he brings veteran presence. Good. He's a guy who's made the playoffs multiple times. He's a guy that can help guide them, kind of be the leader of the Timber Pups here, especially because there was a report that said Beverly told the Clippers that he they, at, they kind of helped him facilitate the trade. Beverly said one of the teams on his list he wanted to go to was the Timberwolves. Now, how much of that is true? How much is that is just kind of honeymoon phase of the new team? I don't know, but it still is a good sign that he wants to be here and he'll be more invested in trying to get the guys to play, unlike the last veteran guy they brought in to try and take them to the next level. Not the exact same, but still better than the Butler in that terms because Butler didn't really want to be there. Um, so he wants to be there. He's a veteran. He can shoot threes. He has a defensive presence that is huge for the Wolves. I know we talk about Ben Simmons giving the Wolves a defensive presence if he were to be traded here, which isn't a guarantee, but he brings a defensive presence to the Minnesota Timberwolves that they desperately need. 
they desperately need a guy to get them going and kind of rah-rah on the defensive end. And the last thing is that uh, he just gives the team an edge. I mean, he is a bully. He's a borderline dirty player. And he, I, you know, now he plays for the Wolves, the team I'm going to watch and the team I'm going to break down. I'm not going to say that he is a dirty player, but I'm definitely not going to say that he's uh, all clean. He definitely plays with a chip on his shoulder. He definitely is a guy that's gotten into squabbles, clothesline Chris Paul, you know, did all that kind of stuff. But he's a guy that gives a mean streak. Butler had a bit of a mean streak, but kind of more in a in a cockiness kind of way. Beverly's just a tough dude. I'm not saying Butler isn't tough, but in a different kind of way. Beverly's just a guy who is going to beat on you for a game. And it's a good addition for the Wolves because it's a guy like Cat. And who may just be who he is. Cat might be a guy who's just kind of very laid back, very calm. You know, he's a guy who can get pumped up, but he's a guy who's not going to be a Patrick Beverly. And that's fine. But he really can rub off on a guy like Anthony Edwards to give him not a dirtiness, not a mean streak, but a guy just say, hey, you know, if you're the best player on the floor, take advantage of it, you know, use the best of your abilities, be confident in yourself, and how can you channel that confidence into good basketball? And I think that he'll be, Cat doesn't really need mentors anymore. He's been in the league for five years. He doesn't necessarily need a mentor. What he just needs is a veteran guy to just help take the load off of him from a leadership perspective. Cat necessarily isn't the leader, quote unquote, of the Wolves, and that probably falls more on Beverly. And that's totally fine. That's not a dig on Cat at all. And that's what helps. It helps with Edwards' development. It helps with Finch trying to get this team to where it needs to go from having a guy uh, on the court that can help uh, do what Finch wants to do in terms of getting young guys to just kind of guide them along here as they try and figure it out. Because the Wolves still are a fairly young team. So that's the take here uh, for the week. And the Wild here will finish on them. Um, nothing much to report on except that they had another round of roster cuts following their game, which they won over the Avalanche yesterday by a score of 6-4. to four. It was preseason, so it doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot, if anything. But I think what it just, uh, I think what it shows is that, again, we get closer to the regular season. Um, they're just, it, there's not really much you can break down, I think is what it really goes to show. You're just kind of biding time. You're seeing which guys, you're more just finding out which guys can't play more than you're figuring out the ones that can't. So looking at the NHL here, looking at some of the, uh, looking at some of their, uh, looking at the Wild here in the NHL. There's there's the word I want to use. They again lost or they won yesterday. They made their first round of cuts, and now uh, again we move closer towards the regular season. And they play their next pre again. They play their next preseason game here on. Uh, soon as my uh, thing loads for me here. They play their next preseason game here next week, and the Wolves also start their preseason games, by the way, on Monday against New Orleans. But the Wild are on the, uh, the Wild are on the cusp of the regular season. They have a few things that they need to figure out here still um, in terms of who's going to play where. They kind of have to figure out the defense a little bit, how the lines are going to work. Can Rossi and, uh, and Boldy play at all? That's another question. Um, so it is, there's a little bit of things that they still need solving. They've, uh, you know, obviously letting a lot of prospects, uh, kind of go is kind of the MO for, uh, for the preseason, just kind of letting them all go back and get their thing. 
Um, but in terms of the player cuts, there really wasn't anything surprising um, in terms of the wild. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is Adam Beckman having a, he was a guy who played in place of Greenway yesterday. He had a pretty good game. So another thing to keep in mind on, we talked about Greenway uh, a couple podcasts ago. So uh, go back and listen to that if you want to hear the full breakdown on that. So that'll do it here for a Friday podcast here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll be back on Monday with all the action and all the review of the action here with a full weekend of football. See you guys on Monday. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.